Hello again, everyone. I'm Reverend Carla. Welcome to Spirituality Matters, Episode 2. Now I invite you to settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And be reminded that the holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. Today my topic is when sin became weaponized. We'll start this podcast with the ways in which sin has been weaponized in history. Then we'll discuss the definition of sin and why it's important to understand sin in context to your religious experience. And then we'll end with how you and I can release ourselves from someone else's judgment of our quote sins and our need to judge other others of their quote sins. And there's a reason I'm putting quotes around that word. You'll find out later. So we're going to dive right at the beginning into religious persecution because there's no way avoiding it. This is a heavy topic. So here we go. So because it has certainly happened here in the United States as well as throughout the world, there has always been a a time when sin has become weaponized and it has been done through religious persecution. There have been thousands of martyrs who have died at the hands of religious authorities. One that comes to mind for me specifically is Joan of Arc, who in the 15th century was burned at the stake. She she was found guilty of heresy and uh, witchcraft and, oh my goodness, the horrible crime of dressing in men's clothes. Now, I guess fortunate for Joan of Arc, 20 years later, King Charles did um, retry her and found her not guilty posthumously. Now, I'm not sure what that means for good old Joan. Other than the rest of us, she did become a saint, and she deserved that. There's many other stories like that. The zeal of those in authority for labeling anyone a heretic who dared defy church teaching or authority is well documented. Barbaric torture that ended in horrific deaths were common in medieval times, and I'm not going to get into specifics there. You can Google that. You can see the devices that were used right in the dungeons of the church. And you could dismiss this as, well, you know what, that was then. But sadly, religious persecution still exists in modern day throughout the world. And if you're hearing a meowing cat, that's because mine decided to come to the door. <laughs> Our studio is not soundproof, but we're, we're having a good time and we're honored to be here. So even in modern day, religious persecution exists and it limits, it, it, it shows up by limiting access to education for, large class, for a large swath of humans and it severely reduces the rights of those people. So this Persecution can lead to limited resources, and sadly, it also leads to torture and even death for those who have been judged to not be abiding by the law or just who refuse to abide by it because they resist that kind of religious authority. But I will, what I will do is tell you that while I am a devoted ally to my LGBTQ brothers and sisters, you know I see you and love you and honor your authenticity in this world. The persecution of LGBTQ humans has been going on for centuries. 
just as the persecution of black indigenous people as well as women. In other words, the white male, especially in this country, has wielded the power. Religion has long been used to justify moral issues that held the belief that the straight white male was superior. And that not necessarily white, depending on which country that you are, but specific to America. And we saw this with the Civil War when the Bible was used to justify slavery. And even before that, when enslaved black people were brought over here. We saw it when the Bible was used to justify the complete annihilation of Native Americans in this country as the white males established their God-given right to use whatever means necessary to take over this land and then sit comfortably in the pews worshiping their God at peace after they had decided to, to um, take part in these unconscionable actions. And we even saw it in, 19, in the 1920s when women wanted the right to vote and people used Bible scripture to say that women should not be able to vote and their husbands held the power in the family. So the Bible was continuously used as a weapon to justify these persecutions. And sadly, that is still the case with some believing that they have superiority over black people, Native Americans, and women and other immigrants, and of course, the LGBTQ humans. And most of the time they will use these clobber verses. I, I mentioned that in episode one, and in case you don't aren't familiar with what a clobber verse is, those, those refer, that phrase refers to the most quoted scriptures that are hurled at women or LGBTQ humans, or it can even also be uh, to black people or brown people or even left-handed people or tattooed people. And it just, the list goes on and on, or even single mothers. I have heard, and I know of several specific instances where single women were, had their children removed from their care by men from the church. This is true. This is happening in our time because they were considered not capable of rearing children without a man in the house. And sadly, many of those women willingly got, went along with it at the time. Now, the ones that I have either counseled or they have shared their story with me tell me they absolutely regret that and know that that was a mistake, and it certainly was. So what I'm not going to do is to dive into a scholarly debate about the original Hebrew or Greek. I am going to list those verses, and I think we can do so in some show notes or on my website. McKinsey, our social media tech uh, specialist, will be taking care of all of that. You will find scholars lining up on both sides of this argument to say, well, those clobber verses are right or they're wrong. And I, I obviously believe that they are wrong. They've been taken out of context. But what I ask you to do is read on your own, do your own research, research about this, because here is the most major point here. It is absolutely inarguable that interpretation of the Bible has changed over time as we've found out more, we have found more documents, and more research is done about some of these ancient 
languages, some that have been dead for centuries. So all we have is ancient scripture to be able to go back, or, or text to be able to go back and see what context was used. So we know that at the time that these scriptures were written, temple worship, which included prostitution and the abuse of children, was very, very common. And the Bible was speaking against that. So when you talk about Leviticus, and which is like, I'm, I'm sure there are people out there who are rolling their eyes right now to even bring that up as inferring that that is condemning homosexuality when in fact it's talking about temple prostitution and the abuse of children. And we certainly cannot even consider bringing back Levitical law unless we're also going to include in our yard somewhere a red tent where women will live for seven to nine day days while they are considered unclean and while they're menstruating. And I'm saying that with sarcasm in my voice because no one's doing that. And are we also going to return to stoning our children if they speak out against their parents? because that's also found in Leviticus. And for some reason, we can pluck certain verses out, but dismiss the, those ones that are seem, seemingly harsh and say that those are being taken out of context. You simply cannot have it both ways. Now, Paul is the only New Testament author who could possibly be referencing homosexuals, but I don't think he was because Paul's original readers would have been very aware of the horrible and inhumane human abuses that were going on in the temples and inside Roman culture. And it's also important to remember that the translation to homosexual didn't occur until 1946. So the word homosexual never appeared in a Bible until 1946. And many scholars believe that that interpretation was absolutely uh, incorrect because it is so far removed from the original Greek word. I'm really looking forward to a movie that's supposed to be released uh, in late 2020 or early 21 called uh, 1946 where it's going to lay out how that word how the word homosexuality became to, to be found in our Bible. I think that's going to really uh, stir up a lot of dialogue which we need to have. Okay, so moving on, let's go on to the definition of sin. Simply put, sin is something that is considered something that we humans do that is not in keeping with divine law. In other words, it's like a, a, transgre a transgression. We often think of it as an act like stealing, harming another, or lying. But sins of the heart and mind are very much part of what is covered in sacred scripture. So like jealousy, pride, anger, resentment. And I'm focusing primarily on Christian scripture here because that is my heritage and the experience of many of my followers. And that is why your religious experience would very much impact how sin was defined for you. Because many denominations put great emphasis on the physical outward appearance of sin. So for instance, how you dress, how you adorn your body, whether you wear makeup. I've certainly had plenty of people uh, yell at me because I wear makeup. Uh, tattoos, and I have those as well. 
even how you wear your hair because some people feel that it is a sin if if a woman cuts her hair and still others consider women in ministry a sin so you can see how many times i'm hitting that in the top 10 of some of the things that people consider a sin and i'm not necessarily saying that because I want people to change their minds. I'm standing up for my beliefs and my right not to be submitted to their beliefs about everybody. So in other words, as long as they want to believe that inside their church, there's nothing I I want to do about that. Their beliefs is their beliefs. It's when it becomes the pervasive way we try to govern our our communities and marginalize people, that's when religious beliefs become a problem. But you can read some of the comments about how people feel, how passionately people feel about some of how they disagree about how other people are living their lives. Because it isn't enough for them just to influence their lives or their church lives or even their denomination. With all due respect, their self-righteousness seems to extend to how others interpret scripture. And this kind of tension is nothing new because I'm certainly not the first female minister. So this conversation about sin is ongoing. And that is where you start to see the weaponization of sin to control others. There are people who have contacted me to say they were told to stop writing with their left hand. That is in my comments right now. If you go to some of my videos on TikTok, you will see where people were told within the last 20 years to stop writing with their left hand because that's the, that's the hand of the devil. Or how another was told she was an abomination because her parents were divorced and she would always be living in sin because of the actions of her parents. And this goes on and on. So the word sin itself in modern spirituality, in particular Christianity, has has been so overused that I think it's been having a numbing effect on people. They just don't seem to respond to it like they want, like the people who are spewing those words want you to. And part of that is because of the Bible itself or more specifically, the translations of the Bible. Now, for example, there are over 30 Greek words in the New Testament alone that have been translated to to summarily mean sin. So you can immediately start to see the problem. This was probably one of the most challenging and frustrating teaching themes because of that. And I I spent many hours trying to figure out how exactly to define sin for you because of how many words there are. And, and you know, we, we have that in our own language as well. So you might say you're happy. You might say you're joy-filled. You might say you're exuberant. But that in and that might be contextual it might be cultural how you use those words but sin has a more specific uh, theme in mind depending on the scripture and what the writer intended and that's what i'm convinced about these scholars so it's important to understand where these words are coming from and i don't see in some ways, scholars lining up whether you're uh, what they call a progressive Christian or or an evangelical Christian, whether or not there's going to be some kind of agreement on that anytime soon. But what is important for believers is to be confident in their truths, and so it's important to do to know a little bit more about what these definitions of sin mean. 
Because if the writers of the New Testament intended for one word just to mean the same thing, they would have used the same word. So that's why we need to know these definitions. And what ends up happening is, with all due respect, we keep, we, we, that would be in keeping with the way some people view their beliefs. That's not intended to be insulting, it's just true. If your beliefs don't allow for interpretations of scripture or differing, differing conclusions about biblical stories or paths to God, then that just means that your table of spirituality is very small by intentional design. And mine is not. As I say often, there are many paths up the mountain that will still get you to the top, and that is God. Or there are many rivers that lead to the ocean, and that is God. Or as my seminary put it, truth in all religion and wisdom in all religion. This endless cycle of needless persecution brings us to one of the most toxic phrases in religion. It is the epitome of why we need to lose this phrase. Hate the sin, love the sinner. This is verbiage that excuses the sins of the one saying it. Because I think the Bible is quite clear on how sin muddies all of our lives. No one is above reproach, yet the one who wants to scream the loudest are the ones who don't seem to be living up to the commandment to love your neighbor. They've put conditions on that phrase when Jesus offered none. This phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner, is often offered as a spiritual smackdown. So that's the equivalent of talk to the hand, the face isn't listening, but if it's offered with a smile and possibly a Jesus love you, loves you, then it can't be harmless. It can't be harmful, right? Well, it absolutely is. And I speak about this subject entirely from experience, as I was the one who would wield these phrases at others as a loving way to shut down any pushback on my conclusion that sin was indeed occurring. And you, poor lost soul, were going to need all my love and prayers to steer you back on this narrow and straight path. So this hyper-focus on what they call the sins of others without accepting accountability for their own sin, this, is, this gets really down some dark, dark abysses where you start to see that what they're basically saying is, we're going to close down anything that you have to say, regardless of what you have to say, because we are the only ones who knows what's best for you. And you'll see this again, and I, you know, I'm not going to be focusing so much so on the LGBTQ community as what I've been with these first two episodes, but it's, it's important to also have benchmarks for what my ministry is. And I minister to a lot of those humans who have been hurt by this type of uh, theology. And one of the most toxic is when those same people who hurl that phrase pronounce that the, anybody who is gay can be cured through prayer or therapy or that they call their, their authenticity abominable. They'll say that they're welcome to their church, which means, of course, you're free to sit in our pews and you're free to give us your money, but don't ask to be married here, don't ask to be baptized, don't ask to be put in leadership, because you are not welcome at that level if you are gay. And that's a false narrative. That is not something that we should be doing to our fellow humans. And like I say again to all my LGBTQ p- 
people who are listening, you are not a mistake. You are not a sin. You are divinely and wonderfully made and loved, and you are not going to hell. Now, I've journeyed through these beliefs that had me for years condemning homosexuality, and I no longer believe it because that's the God pulled me out of that belief system. When I believed that being gay was a sin, I would hurl those scriptures at people, and I didn't think anything of it. I thought I was being loving. I thought I was proving to you that you were living in sin. And what I didn't realize was that it was actually having the opposite effect. I never saw you come through the church doors, but I thought maybe I had planted a seed in you, and all I did was turn my back on you. I wasn't offering you the love that Jesus commands us to offer. All right, I took a little bit of a turn there, and I know that, and that's going to happen. Once again, here I am, a, a, a preacher, so you just have to watch those soapboxes with me. Okay, so back to the definition of sin, which we now know it as a transgression, but also looking at those 30-some Greek words that were translated to just basically mean sin in the New Testament, that covers a wide range of human actions and thoughts. So if you were taught the basics of sin by reciting the Ten Commandments, you may have been led to believe that what we do or don't do reflects the strength of our spirituality. So we know don't work on the Sabbath, don't kill, don't steal, don't worship other gods, don't lie, don't use God's name when you curse, don't, 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 don't. But did you know that there are a whole other slate of sins that, that are considered just as dangerous and toxic? No, because they were not handed down as on a tablet. We don't focus on them as much because they reflect our inner workings, our integrity, who we truly are. And they aren't as fun to hurl at others. And why is that? Because who truly has the right to toss the stone at another if we are focusing on our inner work? Because that means we're looking at our pride, our self-inflated ego, our self-control, our responsibility, our accountability, our kindness, our love, our generosity. My friends, it's time for a spiritual reset. Some of the most toxic and horrible words have been directed towards other humans, accusing them of sinning, and those same people will then sit in the church pews on Sunday and raise their hands to God. And somehow they've reconciled that they alone have the right to be the spiritual judge and jury over the rest of us, and only they wield the power and knowledge to do that. Well, that sounds like pride arrogance, and self-righteousness. Those are also covered as sins in that sacred book. So my friends, if you take anything from this week's teaching, it is this. Sin is an invitation for inner growth that is reflected in how we show up in the world. It was never intended to be used as a weapon to condemn another human being. Those who are doing it are merely showing where they are refusing to accept the invitation for their own inner growth. This should help you be liberated from the weaponization of sin. Now, what do I mean by that? We see this time and again playing out, especially on so social media, where religious people are the judge and jury, and it gets pretty brutal. I mean, me personally, I've been called a witch, a heretic, and I, I've been told that I am someone who should be burned 
at the stake. Think about that, my friends. In 2020, someone has said that to me. And when I go look at their profiles, before I block them, their profiles are filled with scriptures and pictures of them in prayer and worship. And I have a hard time reconciling that vitriol that they're throwing at me with their worship. But you know what? That is between them and God. What I experience is minuscule compared to the brutal attacks unleashed on the LGBTQ humans, sometimes people with tattoos, mixed race marriages, and that favorite phrase of theirs of hate the sin and love the, the sinner, or when they call you an abomination, because no, my friends, you are not. What is an abomination is someone who is so self-righteous that they have placed themselves as judge and jury over the rest of us. That is not representative of Jesus's ministry. And it is an absolute overreach on a Christian's responsibility to call out another's sins. That's a whole other teaching subject when the Bible is clear about the inner work. We are to be doing. This is the inner work. This is the sacred work. And what sin truly means in our path to spiritual growth. Because your experience or your teaching about what sin is could actually mean that you are missing most of the, some of the most sacred work of the Bible. Now, I just want to touch real quickly on some of the most common derivatives of what it means, what's, what our other uh, translations of sin could mean. And one of the most common ones is called missing the mark. It's defined as missing the mark. So what does that mean? Okay, well, if you miss the mark, it means you take aim and you miss. So sin in that context is more about a life wisdom. What can we learn from our mistakes or our experiences so that we can grow from them? Another example of the words, uh, the words focusing on our humanity. It reminds me of the song, uh, I'm only human, of flesh and bud I made, born to make mistakes. So what this means is that just by living, by being human, we are going to make mistakes. We are going to hurt people. We are not going to be perfect. So human nature is about finding that sweet spot of grace for ourselves and for others because sin is inevitable. Inasmuch as sin means that we have faults, and we have faults because we are human. Okay, my friends, blessed be. I feel like I kind of went all over the place there, but I hope you got something from all of this. Now, each week I answer a question, and this one this week comes from TikTok. Here's the question. Do you have any advice on how to get your faith back? I've lost my faith in people, religious faith, and faith in a purpose. I've just lost the ability to believe. Oh, beautiful soul. There's a lot of people feeling that right now. Even if you are grounded in your faith, you are questioning what is going on in 2020? Where are we going? Where is this going to lead us? What wisdom can be found here when everything seems to be pointing to chaos and disruption? When you pray to God and God is quiet? 
When you pray to God and you don't get answers, you don't get clarity, there's not, I would be surprised if one person hasn't felt this way at one time or another. And I'm going to suggest that you hold steadfast because most often what has happened for me in these times where I don't feel my faith is when some of the, the most sacred work is being done, when I am being incubated, when I am cocooning into something that's coming. That means we just have to keep breathing and keep putting one foot in front of the other. It means that we find people like us who believe like we do, who understand what we're going through. And like I've said, thank God for these type of forums that can allow us to find each other. I would suggest that you continue to journal. If you haven't started that, please do so and write out some of these questions and see what comes back for you. Writing sometimes often is a, a, a chance for the soul to quiet enough that you can hear things that you might be missing just because the, the brain right now is so overflowing with so much information. I'm going to suggest two books that might help you. Both are written by Adya Shanti, and they will be in the show notes for this podcast. The first one is called Falling into Grace. The second one is Resurrecting Jesus, Embodying the Spirit of a Revolutionary Mystic. Because during these times, it's so when we can't find answers, the soul is longing for spiritual connection and moving to the mystical side of our being, that place where we don't understand, but we have to believe and we know that something greater than us is still at work. And amen. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you, and I pray you receive something. I know I did, because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace. Be at peace. And may you be the peace. Go in love, and may you be loved, and may you give love. Go and know that others are on this journey with you, and you are not alone. May you have blessings on this week, and I will see you soon. Bye for now. If you like what you heard today, be sure to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. To submit questions to Rev Carla, email us at spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. Follow at Rev Carla on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Check out her blog posts on RevCarla.com and go ahead and sign up for email alerts while you're there so you don't miss a thing. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.